Well, good morning and welcome to Rimrock Church. Man, what a beautiful day, huh? Drive up that highway, it's like, wow, Lord, you do good work. So funny. So amazing every day. All right. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. What do you say? Let's do this. I am holding on to you. I am holding on to you. In the middle of the storm, I'm holding on. I That his love can reach. There's no place where we can find peace. There's no end to amazing grace. Amen. Come on. Took me with your arms spread wide. Took me like an orphan child. Never let go. Never leave my side. Sing it. I
seated. Amen. Hey, good morning. What a joy to be together. I was thinking this morning as we were singing those songs, you know, the first time Jesus rode into Jerusalem and the people were praising him, there were Pharisees saying, why, why are you guys praising Jesus? And, and Jesus said, if, if they don't praise me, the stones will cry out. And uh, I was thinking as we were singing that song about Jesus' second coming, and I was thinking, I want to be there praising him, right? And so one sense, we're, we're practicing, right? We're, we're preparing, and the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So, so we're, we are preparing for his coming, and when he rides again, we will be there to praise his name. All right, good morning, and I'm so happy that, uh, that we, uh, we get to gather in this place. Uh, thank you for everyone flexing last Sunday. <laughs> it, was, it was disruptive, but, but I think it was worth it. I think it was worth it to come together to, to worship God and to be reminded of who Jesus is on the throne and to be reminded of who we are as the church. And uh, uh, for those who weren't there or those who left, uh, we had a membership meeting after, and uh, we, we made a couple uh, great, great things. We introduced, uh, uh, welcomed 19 new members into the Rimrock family, so we're so thrilled about that. And then we also voted in a strong majority to purchase the downtown building. And so we're, we're thrilled about that. We're excited about that. We, we are also realizing this is a step of faith, and so we're, we're trusting God. But just so you guys know, the, the thing that we're uh, most praying for and that is closest to our heart is, is we don't want to lose sight of the, the vision that God has given us, is to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to be about just buildings. We think buildings are a tool to demonstrate the love of God for the advancement of the gospel so that we can make disciples. That's, that's what we use this space for. This is what God has given us. But I was meditating this week on, on John chapter 13 where Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to be leaving, like he's going to go to the cross. We just saying he's going to be crucified. He said, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. And you will look for me, just as I told the Jews. So now I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. And that's the season we're in, right? We're, we're in the season of waiting, the season, but it's also a season of work, as we've been reading in the letters of Jesus to the church, that the church has a purpose. We have uh, a reason that God has us here on this earth to to be his servants, to be his lampstands, to be his witnesses in this world. And this is what he says, and this is what I've been meditating on, and this is my prayer for us as a church. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And my prayer is that as a church, we would be known that for our love for God, that he would be our first love, as it says in the first letter to the churches in Revelation, that, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, but then that we would learn to love each other. And Jesus says, by this, <laughs> the world will know that you are my disciples. And so let's, let's stay fixed on that. And I think God's going to do amazing things through, through us, through his people, through the Holy Spirit in us. 
So this morning, if you're new, I want to welcome you. So thankful that you're here uh, to worship with us. Uh, there's a little card in front that uh, we'd welcome you to fill out, and, and that's kind of a way for you to introduce yourself to us, and then we can begin uh, to reach out to you and share uh, about what, who we are as a church. Uh, we have some classes coming up uh, on February 19th and 26th. So, so we just had a, a member meeting last Sunday. We're a congregational church. Uh, but being a member isn't just so you can vote on major decisions. Like, like that's an important part. We, we make decisions together, trusting God to lead through, through us, through his people. But uh, being a member is, is really about understanding our vision and understanding uh, together, committed together, what, what can God do through us as we commit to being disciples of Jesus and making disciples. I think of that last command Jesus gave his disciples to go to all the nations, right? baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, to make disciples. And so that's what we're really about. And so these next classes are really about that and understanding what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And so February 19th and 26th, if you're interested in becoming a member, but maybe you've been a member for a long time, but you want to be uh, refreshed about what that commitment means, what it looks like, and how we can do, uh, how we can follow Jesus together here at Rimrock Church. I invite you to do that. All right, one last thing. Uh, in your bulletins, there's a little paper, so would you guys mind taking that out? <laughs> so one of the things that I think makes church so powerful is that uh, we're ultimately here not for ourselves. We're here for God. I think we come to worship, but we're also here for each other. Just as I read that we're learning to love each other, and, and love is, is expressed through service. And so there's many ways to serve at, through the church, but here I just want to make something really clear. Uh, there are many ways to serve Jesus even outside the church, and I'm so thankful for so many of you are serving in other ministries, you're serving in other ways throughout our community, and that counts. <laughs> I think that is part of being obedient and being a disciple of Jesus, but, but there is a place to serve within the church as well, and so we want to highlight that this month of February. And so if you aren't serving anywhere or, or you feel God is stirring a place for you to serve, there's a, 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 like two pages of different teams or different ways that you can serve with different giftings. Now, if you go through that and you say, my gifts, my callings aren't in here, that's okay. Um, I think God has a place for you in the kingdom, in different places. Uh, and I would love to be part of helping you or other pastors here, our elders. Uh, in fact, I believe Ephesians 4 says the role of the pastor is really to be an equipper of the saints for works of service. So God has a calling on every one of your lives to serve in different ways for his glory, for his name, to make disciples. So, so this is within Rimrock Church. Would you just look at that, pray about that, think about filling that out. And then I was told by uh, Jeannie Short, who's our uh, kind of our connection coordinator, is it would be really helpful if everyone would fill out their information. Now, maybe you've given your information in the past to the church, but but maybe if something's changed or if you've moved, it'd be really helpful for us just to, to stay in contact and be able to uh, stay in contact with you. And so if you were willing to update your information, that'd be really helpful. Uh, there's a basket in the back as you're leaving. You can just drop this in that basket. There's, I think it's black on a little table back there. And uh, that would be really, really helpful. Thank you for, for praying about that. We're going to take uh, communion later after the sermon, and so I just uh, encourage you to prepare your heart for that. 
such an important thing for us as a church. And we're going to continue in our worship um, this morning. Would you join me in praying? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence with us. It's, it says in Revelation 1 and 2 that, Jesus, you are among the lampstands, and you're among your people. And I believe here this morning, God, you are inviting us <laughs> to be reminded of who you are through the, through the songs, but also through the preaching of your word this morning, through our fellowship, our gathering, that, God, we would be reminded of who we are. And that, God, out of this place, that, God, you would send us into our homes, into our workplaces, into the community, into the places of service, that, God, we would shine <laughs> and that we would love and that we would demonstrate uh, who you are so practically, so powerfully as your Holy Spirit fills your people. So, God, that's our prayer this morning. We're trusting you to do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Continually said amen, amen. And you're going to see throughout the whole book of Revelation how when anything began to be revealed and something new was seen, they would fall down, say holy, holy, and they'd say amen, amen. Uh, what a scary privilege I have been given to take what I think is the center of the whole book of Revelation. I think if you were to go ahead and have a spotlight, you would see that chapters four and five, I don't think, I think man added the chapters there, but I think four and five are one picture. 
and it is going to be the, the crux of everything before and after that we understand. It is the crux of everything before and after from the entire canon from Genesis on up. And even taking verses which we'll get to in chapter 6, it's though a spotlight was shining down and something, something was being manifested. The word revelation is to unveil. Something began to be unveiled. And when it did, they could not contain themselves. I am not praying that you will be emotionally charged today. I think you'll have to be a little bit dead if you don't have something affected today. Uh, I do tread very, very carefully on this because as all the people up here speaking would tell you, when we are giving a, a topic to talk on, it is inevitable that God begins to make that word real and deeper in our own lives. And so this last couple months, I've had a couple months to think about this and pray about it. Uh, I have been humbled by the message of what God was revealing. I have seen how limited my eyesight was in, uh, in my understanding of some of this. And so I pray that I will be able to make it through. Sometimes when you have things that are touching you, it's hard not to be taken in by your own emotions. And, uh, and so I want to start by something that I think is really, really important. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, it says, while we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, because the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. To build on that, it's really saying that we live in a world that coexists with the seen and the unseen. Satan has been given dominion to be called the father or the prince of this world. And Satan so much wants everybody to see what is seen, and therefore you make conclusions by what you see, what you smell, what you touch, what you hear. Jesus came on the scene and showed that he could go ahead and be in both realms at the same time and did it perfectly. He brought the unseen and the seen together and began to show you that you can't comprehend anything of who he is or what he's trying to do without being able to look into the unseen world. We have used from the pulpit many different ways. We've said, I want you to have eternal eyes, to be looking at that which is eternal. I frankly have done funerals this last year that I don't know how a person can go to a funeral without somehow having eternal eyes of something in the future. I look at the people that all around me, and maybe it's my age, but I look at the people all around me that are getting sick with cancer and dying, and I would be absolutely distraught if it wasn't the fact that God gave me unseen eyes to see and see that just like uh, years ago when Pastor Steve said when he dies it would be the best day of his life. That wasn't said by seen eyes. Seen eyes saw a man up here that couldn't stand, he had to sit, and his body was absolutely destroyed, and yet for some reason God gave the allowance and gave us to be able to have unseen eyes. Song, Tom, that you picked, I, I, I love the song, Death Was Arrested, and, and basically our life began. The seen eyes, if you remember the seen eyes, everybody on this world, even the demons, were rejoicing that they saw this beaten, torn open, bloody person hanging on the cross. In their eyes, victory had been reached. The unseen eyes, and even people that were familiar with the Old Testament, with unseen eyes, looked. Even the guards said, my, this is the living God. This is the Son of God. The unseen eyes, 
That was a sign of triumph. Today we're going to see something that I think is fabulous, and that is that we're going to see something in in chapter 4, as you saw last time in chapter 4, there were five times in the Bible that somebody was allowed to look into the heavens. And it's interesting that all five occurrences share the same thing they saw. And they saw this throne, and they saw the mightiness and the holiness of this God, and God was displaying his holiness. And his holiness is what he's all about. And it will help us come to a place of understanding that the story that we are a part of, the story that we get to read about, as you saw last week, was a story about God. And he's holy, and he declares himself holy. And when all of a sudden they saw what they were were able to see with their seen eyes, even those people that were called into it got to see seen eyes and did the unseen, they came to the place where they could do nothing but fall down and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But now we come to a place here in Revelation chapter 5, and you're going to see something that I think is unveiled here And with unseen eyes, I'm going to ask that you be willing to let God move on you. Would you let me pray with you? Oh, Father, Lord of our Son, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory and the God that is holy, I would ask, Father, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. We pray that our eyes would be enlightened so that we would know what's the hope of your calling, what are the riches of your glory and your inheritance that you've given to us, your saints. What's the surpassing greatness of your power towards us who will believe in accordance with the working strength of your might that you brought about in Jesus Christ when you raised him from the dead and sat him at the right hand of the heavenly places that we get to look into today. Father, I am hushed when I even look back at the book of Luke and it says that that day with those that believe on you and see this and see these eternal things, that in that day you will gird up yourself and you will come and lavish us with your love and bend down and serve us. I can't believe that. But I ask today that we would somehow have a picture of that. And we would respond as you would put on our heart to respond. And I ask this with total confidence that you have heard us and all of us out here in our prayers because Jesus gave us permission to come before you in his name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I would open up to Revelations 5. We are going to do this pretty much together, audibly. And I guess by now I'm used to the fact that many of you are going to open up your tablets. That's that's okay, too. That's not any better to not have a tablet or to have a tablet. Revelation 5 said, And I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book or a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who? is worthy to open the book and to break its seal. 
And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to even look into it. And John says, I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. I want to pause there. I don't have the complete answer. I am a little baffled uh, by John. I think in one way, uh, John was kind of Jesus' best buddy. John saw, not only did he see him tortured on the cross and, and had only seen eyes to see that, John saw the fact that he rose from the dead and demonstrated all the things that he declared. So I, I, I wondered about that. I, I wondered about why. And then it, it dawned on me, I don't think there's a full answer here, but John was displaying, just like the rest of us, we're human beings. God says, I'm mindful that you're but dust. I'm mindful that you're but human. And sometimes we take these disciples and we elevate them to a place that they never were uh, designed to be elevated. Matter of fact, if I look through the scripture and see it pretty consistently, who he chose, he says, I basically purposely chose the base things in the world to profound the wise. I basically chose those things that we esteem great, and th those things are usually the seen. And he says, I'm going to take the unseen and choose people whose hearts can be mine. John was just like us. So don't be so hard on yourself when sometimes you forget. Maybe you get uh, excited about something you've read in the scriptures or something you've heard on a podcast or something you've heard from a sermon or something some of your friends told you, and you so quickly forget it. John demonstrates to us the humanity and relates to us so we can relate to him. But he weeped. And it said, stop weeping. Now I sometimes add things to that. I, I think the spirit was basically looking at him and said, no, shut up, John. And the elder said to me, he, he said, open the book to look into it. And one of the elders said, stop weeping. Behold, the lion is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and the seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb, standing as if slain, having seven horns, seven spirits, and the seven spirits of God were sent out into all the earth. What I think is happening here and what I think is being revealed, and John's been able to see it, is that you're seeing right there in those two verses, you're seeing the one on the throne, which you have already seen in Revelation 4, God the Holy One, God of, of the whole universe, the creator of heaven and earth. Back in the Chronicles, even David came to the place that said, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything in the heavens and on the earth are yours. You've created all, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen anyone and everyone. And so you see this God, the Father, in full kind of expression. And then we have here the seven spirits of God, which I basically believe, and we talked about it at the pastor's meeting, is simply the full expression of the Holy Spirit being right there present. And we can go back and look where also what is declared of the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit is great and powerful and majestic, and all the things that they said about the Father are being said about the Holy Spirit. And now before his eyes is being revealed that the lamb is right there in the midst of them, this is way more than just the lamb. 
This is God totally incarnate, totally being revealed that he is part of the triune God and that right now the light is shining down in the middle of this chapter, in the middle of this book, that the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit never act alone. They are one, and they demonstrate their oneness. And now we're seeing some of the things being displayed that right now you're going to see, and they're going to see that Jesus, why is he worthy? There's a lot of reasons he's worthy, and we can go into a bunch of them. But he's worthy because he is God. You'll read in here that they fall down and they say, what about him? Thine is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the wisdom. And the same thing about him. But if we go way back to Jeremiah chapter 32, and Jeremiah 32, lots was happening back then. If you're familiar with Jeremiah 31, you're familiar with what Tom had sang in that song and the people sang in the song, that God was going to take out that heart of stone and put in a brand new heart, and that new heart was going to be where the, the residence and the presence of God would dwell in each one of us and fold us. And then he goes on into Jeremiah 32, and he talks about an illustration, and he says, I want you to buy a piece of a field. I want you to buy a field so that you have ownership of that field. And if you have ownership of the field, then you're the only one that has the right to open and break the seal for that land and that deed of property. Sound familiar? Why does this lamb, why does the lamb have the right to open the seal? Because he purchased every one of us with his blood. He bought us and has ownership of you, and he only has the right to open the seal. And so he, with his blood that he sacrificed as a once and for all sacrifice for your sins and my sins, gave him the right to open the seal. And in opening the seal, he could now break open the deed and, and the story would be told. I want to stop here because this is something that I want to touch on here. And I want to retouch on it again when we talk about <coughs> having communion. Everybody has kind of heard at least about some of the things on the cross and what took place on the cross. I can remember many of the messages we've heard here. And that horrible, terrible, bloody evening, that dark evening, and sometimes I think it's good for us to know what was sacrificed. He gave all what was sacrificed. To the worst of your pains or your anxieties or your dark depressions or your losses, Magnified in full, he took that and he basically did it for you and me. While we are yet sinners, he died for us and purchased us by the blood. It says, and we were purchased by the blood of the Lamb, so he has the right to open the seal. But here's, here's what I think begins to happen. The more I began to study that and the more I began to become aware of what he had done for me. And the word basically meant remission, the removing and separating me from every sin I would ever commit in the past, present, and future was removed from me and was removed from you. Never to be held against you again. Never will be brought up. When I grew up in the church I grew up in, they told me that you better be careful because you're going to have a big movie screen show of your life and all of your sins and everybody's going to see all your secret sins. That was terrorizing. Even the things when I found out later on that were sin, and I thought weren't sin. God says, no. When that blood was shed on the cross, and I made a public display of the enemies, 
and one of your enemies was your sin and your debt. I removed it from you, and the word remission means separated you from it. It will never be held against you again. I want to challenge you with something that I have repeatedly failed while I prepared for this message. I think, at least in my years of being a believer, the more that I have at least have little bits of more revelation of the Father's holiness, the more I am more aware of my failures and shortcomings. It seems to coincide together. It is no wonder to me that when uh, Jesus knelt down and wrote on the ground and he said, those without sin throw the first stones, and it said basically immediately the older ones threw their stones down. I think the, the older ones, the longer we get to know God in his holiness, the more that we're aware of our need for the cross and the blood. But I think sometimes we can freeze there, and this is what I had been doing, and I know some of you, because I've talked to a lot of you, can make the same mistake and cheapen what happened on that night on that cross. And even now, we can go ahead and say, God, I'm, I'm getting revealed more and more of stuff. I'm getting things of my motivations maybe 20 years ago in my life, and I thought, man, what a scumbag I was. And, and so, therefore, I easily can slip into condemnation. And what does condemnation mean? It basically means I'm still focused on me. I'm focused on what I failed at. The whole purpose of this display was that we would see the sun and what happened on the cross. And it would simply be a reminder of what he did in the magnitude of the forgiveness of your life and the sins in your life and the failures in your life and mine as well. But the enemy basically wants us to stay back and still make it about us. And when we do communion later on, he says, whenever you eat and whenever you drink, always do in remembrance of me, not of your sins. And we mope around, and woe is me, I'm just a no good sinner and stuff, and make and cheapen the cross. Is it true that he removed that from you, never to bring up that again? So he says, in the like way, matter of fact, I find it really interesting. In, in Romans chapter 12, he says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you no longer basically present your bodies as instruments of righteousness. But he says, basically, don't be squeezed into the world's mold, but be transformed by the renewing your mind that you may prove what is the good and excellent will of God. We stop there and we don't go to chapter or verse 3. And verse 3 says, if you get this renewing of what happened and what I did for you, and I got what I went after, when I hung on the cross and said, just tell us, it is finished, basically paid in full, never to go back there again. If you knew that, verse 3 says, then be careful not to think too high of yourself. He's, all, all, he's a warning us that if you really understand what happened, there could be a tendency to t even think too high of yourself because of what God has made you and I. And so I want to at least stop here and have you think, are you repeating your sins? Are you beating yourself up because of your failures? And keep going back and say, how do I keep doing this again? I'm going to read you something. Uh, one of the people I work with gave me this, and I just thought it was so appropriate. And uh, this guy named Ronnie Smith wrote this, and listen as we read this. 
He said, when I think for the story of the prodigal son's return, I'm overwhelmed. Not because the father would take the son back. I, I think I get that. That's, it, part is almost feasible. But Jesus loves me, forgives me, in a way that is beyond my wildest dreams. Here's what I can't comprehend. You see, I haven't just wandered off like the prodigal once or twice or even three times. I've gone searching after other gods over and over and over and over again. I've strayed in big ways and small, but it's wandering all the same. You see, when the prodigal son returned home, his father lavished him with a robe and a ring and sandals. Well, in my unseen house, I have closets of robes, chests of drawers full of rings, and an equal number of sandals. Do you get the idea of how much God loves you? that he has removed everything that you failed in your life, and the cross made that possible, and that we would begin to grasp that. Him, him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his grace and mercy. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things, then we go on here and it says, and he came and he took out of the right hand him on the throne and when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb now, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song. Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seal now for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people and nation. Put your name in there because you fit into that. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon this earth. Here we have a little glimpse that he just touches on that we're going to go into a lot more as we go through the book. Not only did he purchase you, not only does he have now the right to open the seal for your life and my life because of what he did, way back in the Garden of Eden, man had the ability to reign in this world, in the world of Eden. And man surrendered that right, and that was handed over, the possession and the prince and the lord of this world was handed over to Satan. Now, ultimately, God is the owner of it all. He says he's the one that owns the heavens and everything that's in them and the earth and all that rides there. But he was given, Satan was given rule there. And this is showing you a picture of something that's going to happen, and that is this, that when he finishes all these things, not only does he redeem us, he redeems this earth again. And when he redeems the earth again, it says that we, he purchased us, we then will reign upon this earth back the way it was designed in the original context, back how it was planned to be in Eden. We get now reign back. Satan no longer will have reign. He will be destroyed and so this earth will then begin to have a full expression of what it was designed to be. Romans in chapter 8 uh, says basically that everything on this earth, every tree and every flower and every bird and every animal is groaning for that day that they'll be able to have a full expression of what they were designed to be and what they were made to be. And man, it says, is groaning too. That's why we groan. That's why we ache. There's something deeper in the unseen world. And so I encourage you to let that desire in your heart and that longing in your heart for something 
let it open your eyes and your ears to that which is unseen. For we're not like those that are without hope. We're those that have been given eyes to be able to see that. So the world will be ultimately God's and we'll be able to have a place in it. And then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures, the elders, and numbers of them were myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing that is in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth and the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped him. Do you see the picture here? You see that not only was the Father, that they said these things about the Father, but they began to say these things about the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that the story is truly about those three and the triune union that they have. And I don't get this. Ben talked about John 13. But if you go on with John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, you're going to see Jesus, the night that he was betrayed and the night that he was going to be killed, he took his disciples, and in that hour he told them pretty much a summary of why he was here and what we were going to do. And you go all the way to the end, and in chapter 16, he's been explaining it all the way through those chapters. And then in 16, when finally one of the disciples, that I can't, it didn't say which one, says, Ah, now I'm seeing into the unseen. You came from God. You and God were one. Duh. And Jesus says, now I'm ready to go. And he goes to the Father and he says, Father, as you and I have been one, as you have dwelt in me and I have dwelt in you, now we invite them into this unity that they might be one in the same way that we were one. So that I might come back in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and in tabernacle their bodies and that their bodies would be united with our bodies and they would understand the purpose of why we died and reconcile them back to us so that we might be able to inhabit man again the way he was intended from the very beginning to be inhabited by God. And then they would be able to basically express our love through them to other people so that it's been read today that people would look and say, wow, I now know the true disciples, those that are instruments of God's life flowing through them in such a way that I now see the expression of God. You and I have that privilege of letting that God flow through us because of what happened that day. But I'm reminding you as we go to communion, would the guys come up for the elders or whoever is going to serve communion? As we look at this, I'm asking you, was the lamb successful? Did the lamb get what he went after on the cross? When he said, it is finished, paid in full, it basically meant, not only will I not remember him, would you leave those alone? I got what I went after. Quit looking in yourself and your failures. Your eyes are upon him, and I promise you, if your eyes are upon him and what he did, out of you will flow rivers of living water. The more that I'm brought to the attention of what God did for me, the more that I see that I sin and fail less. As you're getting ready to prepare your hearts for communion, I would ask you to do this. 
A lot of times, a lot of churches have made communion about look for your sins and see how much you're sinning and make sure that you're right. I frankly think that is absolutely backwards. Sometimes you'll be made aware of some things, and it's to do what? It's to bring you to the remembrance of him and what he did for you. And maybe you need to at least confess to yourself, God, I've been so absolutely looking at my failures that I've taken my eyes off of the real, real reason that we have communion. Whenever we eat, whenever we drink, we always do it in remembrance of you, not us. If you'll do this, I think the book, the rest of the book that we're going to go through will begin to go ahead and start to unfold. Things that maybe didn't make sense before will start to make sense. Seen through this and seen through the unseen eyes that some people of the world cannot comprehend, but only you. I want you to be still for just a minute and see what God's speaking to you as you take the elements here.
as the remaining people are receiving the elements. I, I think it's an interesting thing that God designed man and women that they could only exist by nutrition. And so we eat, and without food you die. And so every day there is a reminder. And he says, not just on this one day that we get to do it as a body together, this is a sign, a symbol for us to know that when God redeemed, he redeemed not only you individually, redeemed us as a body. And so when that last chapter of Revelation happens and this, this incredible uh, kingdom is let down, New Jerusalem, you're going to see it is the body and you were a part of that. So we do this together today. But let this be a reminder that every time you eat and every time you drink, do it in remembrance of what happened for you. Not in condemning yourself, but in opening your eyes to just how incredible he is. And I promise you, times at the dinner table and times when you're just out to eat, it'll be hard not to fall down before him and join the elders. But you do this in remembrance of him, eat and drink. Stand and sing this in praise and worship. Does your father truly love us? Come on. He does. Yeah, he does. And does the spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus our Messiah forever those he loves? Sing it.
Wednesday night, next Sunday again. Go out and shine his light. Amen.